0: Welcome to episode four of Teacher Talk with Zach Clancy. I'm Zach Clancy. Each week I'll be bringing you a topic related to education that I think will be interesting to people in general and helpful for teachers and educators. This week I'll be discussing Howard Gardner and the theory of multiple intelligence. I'll be talking a little bit about Howard Gardner, the guy who developed the theory, then I'll briefly discuss each type of intelligence and share an experience I've had with a student who I believe displayed that particular intelligence as their dominant intelligence. I'll also briefly talk about some of the criticism that's been leveled against the theory, and I'll talk about opportunities that teachers have, and some of the limitations of the way we currently test students uh, based on what we know about multiple intelligence. But before we do that, it's time for the collaboration corner. So this week's shout-out goes to Tom Ritchie. He's a teacher who runs a YouTube channel that hosts video lectures in U.S. history, European history, and philosophy. He also has a website with PowerPoint presentations and primary documents that go with the videos on his YouTube channel. Uh, You can check him out at TomRitchie.net. first things first, I'm going to give you a little bit of background about Howard Gardner. He attended Harvard from 1961 to 1965. Uh, That's when he graduated. And then after that, he attended the London School of Economics for a year. And then in 1972, he earned a PhD in social psychology from Harvard Medical School and Boston University Research Center. He has been an adjunct professor of psychology at Harvard University from 1991 until the present. And from 19. 86 to 1998, he was a professor of education at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Uh, He's currently the chair of the Project Zero steering committee and the senior director of Project Zero. So Project Zero is the name for Gardner's research on multiple intelligence that he's done at Harvard. Unfortunately, I don't really have time to get into the details of that project, but I will include a link to it in the show notes, you can definitely go to the website and check it out, and maybe if there's enough interest for it, maybe if enough people uh, let me know over social media, maybe I'll revisit it at some point in a future episode. Anyway, Gardner's published a bunch of articles, as well as a really influential book on the topic of multiple intelligences. Probably his best-known book on the topic is called Frames of Mind, which he wrote in 1983 and was republished a few years back in 2011. Anyway, Gardner's held a bunch of fellowships and won a bunch of awards. He received a MacArthur Prize Fellowship in 1981 and a fellowship from the John S. Guggenheim Memorial Foundation in 2000. He's received honorary degrees from institutions in Bulgaria, Canada, Chile, Greece, Ireland, Israel, Italy, South Korea, and Spain. And in 2005, and again in 2008, he was selected by Foreign Policy and Prospect magazines as one of the 100 most influential public intellectuals in the world. In 2011, he received the Prince of Asturias Award for Social Sciences, and just this year, he was chosen as the recipient of the Brock International Prize in Education. So, now that we know who Howard Gardner is, let's find out what the theory of multiple intelligence is all about. According to the standard view of intelligence, quote, intelligence is defined as the ability to answer items on tests of intelligence, unquote. And that's according to Howard Gardner's website. Uh, these types of tests um, include things like IQ tests and the types of standardized tests that we use on grade school children in pretty much all K-12 schools in this country. And inferences made from these test scores allegedly show a person's intellectual ability. And it, this is supported by st- statistical techniques. Under this view, intelligence is an inborn quality of a person. Multiple intelligence theory, on the other, other hand, pluralizes that traditional approach. And intelligence is the ability to process information and to solve problems or fashion products that are significant in a particular cultural setting or community. Uh, This problem-solving skill allows people to approach situations where there is a goal that they want to achieve and figure out a way to achieve that goal appropriately. The creation of a cultural product allows people to capture and transmit knowledge. The solution to the problem Could be achieved by creating the end of a story or predicting your opponent's next chess move or repairing a quilt so it's the idea that knowledge is based on your context and your surroundings Uh, the website gives the example of saying humans have certain kinds of intelligences whereas rats and birds have other kinds um i prefer to think of it as you know um You can't judge a fish based on its ability to climb a tree, right? I can climb a tree better than most fish, but most fish can breathe underwater a lot better than I can. So, you know, fish rarely need to climb trees. So that ability isn't terribly useful for fish as a species. There were originally seven types of intelligence. And as I alluded to earlier, there's something called your dominant intelligence. And I think the best way I can explain this is the way that, you know, the hand that you write with is usually referred to as your dominant hand. Um, but you can still use your other hand to do stuff. So people have one type of intelligence that's strongest, you know, their dominant one. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have other types of intelligence as well. Additionally, since Howard Gardner first proposed the theory in 1983, other types of intelligence have been proposed but that's beyond the scope of this as well. Um, it's, it's something that I'll revisit if I ever do an episode about Project Zero. So anyway, as I mentioned, there are seven types of intelligence. Um, so the first type of intelligence is musical intelligence. That's you know the kind of person who can pick up an instrument and play it, or you know they already play an instrument and they can just hear a song and play it on that instrument. The idea behind it is certain parts of the brain play important roles in perception and production of music. And evidence for this type of intelligence is that there are children with autism who can play musical instruments beautifully, but who cannot communicate otherwise. You know, I have a student who I recently learned uh, knows how to play the piano. And, you know, it was self-taught. And when we asked him, uh, you know, how he learned how to play the piano, he said he learned it because he was just goofing around on the piano in his parents ba- or grandparents' basement. Uh, the next type of intelligence is a uh, bodily kinesthetic intelligence. And so the evolution of specialized body movements is an obvious advantage to people because this lets them use tools. Uh, in this context, problem-solving skill is the ability to use one's body to express an emotion, such as doing a dance, or to play a game or a sport, or to create a new product, such as coming up with an invention. And so, a lot of times, uh, kids who have this type of intelligence, or people who have this type of intelligence in general, are called natural athletes. You know, I had a, a student who may have struggled to spell words correctly or solve math problems properly, but he picked up lacrosse in, like, a week. He was really good at it. He was so much better than everyone else who started playing it just shortly after he did that he seemed to think that they weren't putting enough effort into learning it because they didn't think it was important, because they didn't think it was cool. Uh, I don't think he realized it was because of the fact that he picked it up so quickly that he was leaving everyone else, including me, behind in the dust. You know, And perhaps he didn't uh, see it as a skill because it's not something that society values the same as logical mathematical intelligence or linguistic intelligence to a lesser extent. So the next one I'm going to talk about is uh, logical Mathematical intelligence, as I just alluded to. And anyway, that is one of the two intelligences that schools and society in general tend to value. Um, Logical more so than the other one that I'll discuss in just a minute. But anyway, it's, it's a traditional form of intelligence. It's the basis for IQ tests. And I would say students who display this type of intelligence might be the kind of student who, for example, lacks social skills but can do math. And they don't necessarily excel at it, but relatively speaking, it's their best subject. Um, And lack of social skills aside, this type of intelligence will, in general, allow students to do well in school and on standardized tests. So like I was saying, it's the kind of intelligence that schools and society tend to value. Um, the second one, and it's valued to a lesser extent, as we'll see in a minute, is linguistic intelligence. And it's the ability to communicate with language, and that you know, it could be verbal, it could be nonverbal. And you know, if the three R's are reading, writing, and arithmetic, then this type of intelligence includes, I guess, the first two R's, reading and writing. Um, you know, and I know several students who seem to display this as their dominant intelligence. And although this type of intelligence is valued more than most of the other intelligences, it's not valued as much as logical, mathematical intelligence. I've seen many students with strong linguistic intelligence, you know, who show knowledge through writing, or language in general, and they do not do well in a traditional school setting because of the importance placed on logical, mathematical intelligence. You know, a lot of times it means they don't do well in math class or don't do well on that portion of the standardized test or they just, for whatever reason, lack those skills that are fall under logical and mathematical intelligence and are more valued by society. So the next form of intelligence I want to talk about is spatial intelligence. And this covers a, a lot of different things. It's the ability to use a map to navigate or to navigate without a map just using landmarks. And um, you know, it's also used in the visual arts um, as far as you know, the composition and balance of visual imagery. Um, damages to the regions of the brain that are responsible for spatial intelligence cause impairment of the ability to find your way around a once familiar site uh, to recognize faces or scenes or to notice fine details. So, you know, people who do have strong spatial intelligence are able to do those things. And I noticed a student particularly like that, he was able to notice fine details. Um, he had these toy magnetic beads that you could shape into three-dimensional objects. And so he looked up half of the how-to video on how to turn the magnetic beads into a spinning top, you know, like an upside-down pyramid with the post coming out of the top. You could spin it and twirl around and around. And so, like I said, he watched half of a video on how to do that. And in no time flat, he just, you know, figured out how to put one together and make one. And, I mean, this was something that was really hard, you know. Like, it required, like, a lot of, like, linear thinking and a lot of, like, planning in advance. And, like, to me and to a lot of other people, it looked really, really hard. But for him, he loved it. It was, like, his reward, you know. He would, like, get through his, you know, social studies that he wasn't really interested in so that he could move on to, you know, Doing that as his break, you know, as his reward that he earned was to, you know, use those little magnetic beads to make things like the spinning top. So, moving on, uh, the next type of intelligence is interpersonal intelligence. And that builds on a core capacity to notice distinctions among others, in particular contrast in their moods, temperaments, motivations, and intentions. And another word for interpersonal intelligence is social skills. And that's one of the things I try to teach my special ed middle schoolers. And it's, you know, basically the ability to use your uh, strengths and the strengths of others to work as a group toward a common goal. Um, So, you know, with that said, I, uh, you know, do you see my middle school students with behavior problems uh, working together toward a common goal if it includes, you know, skipping class or stealing snacks from the cafeteria or, you know, taking personal items off staff members like keys or walkie-talkies or cell phones. One time I had two students who claimed to be cousins, they weren't, uh, but they'd use that as a reason to work together. Um, they would work together to gang up on staff members. You know, one would create a diversion after a teacher set down their school walkie-talkie and the other student would sneak up and take the walkie-talkie. The last type of intelligence that we're going to talk about today is intrapersonal intelligence. And it results in self-reflection and comfortability in your own skin. And uh, I feel like at the middle school level, students with this type of intelligence tend to be more reserved and quiet. Not that all quiet students are interpersonal intelligence types, but I'm just saying that you know a lot of students with interpersonal intelligence are quiet. Um, and I feel like it's you know more difficult to spot in a middle school context, which is uh, where I work. You know, they don't stand out about their among uh, they don't stand out amongst their drama at peers who are constantly on the verge, you know, of a major crisis. But um, I had a friend like this in middle school and high school. You know, a lot of people thought she was weird, but she was just really you know she knew who she was and she was cool with it. Um, so. Uh, now let's move on to criticism that's been leveled against multiple intelligence. Uh, one of the most common criticisms of the theory of multiple intelligence is that, that there isn't any empirical evidence to back it up. So for instance, there's a lot of research that shows that standardized measures of intelligence like the ones we were talking about earlier like IQ tests like standardized tests administered by schools, those can predict future performance in school work and life in general but measures of multiple intelligence, don't have a similar ability to predict future performances. And, um, you know, I would argue that this might be because society values only linguistic, mathematical, and more so mathematical intelligence. So the definition of success is based on actions related to math and language-based intelligence. So it could easily be that we don't have tests to measure Non-linguistic and non-mathematical types of intelligence. Anyway, uh, moving on to what we can do with what we know about multiple intelligence. You know, um, one I feel like beneficial thing about it is that teachers can assess or even you know teach students using multiple intelligences. There are tons of sources of multiple intelligence-based teaching material and. Sort of intelligence inventories all over the internet. Uh, the one that was developed by Howard Gardner is called MIDAS, M I D A S. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. So, anyway, also based on what we know about multiple intelligences, it seems that, you know, one of the drawbacks is that while we can teach students and as teachers we can assess students using multiple intelligences standardized tests do not use multiple intelligences for their tests so you know that's that's a shortcoming it's kind of like i was talking about earlier it's kind of like judging a fish based on its ability to climb a tree but that is you know unfortunate because especially for teachers because in many states across the country there currently is legislation, or you know, there's legislation in the work or works, or it's been proposed um, that teachers be evaluated in part based on how their students score on standardized tests. So you know, this is something that influences a lot of teachers across the country. You know, there's over a dozen, I think maybe two dozen states now where this is going on, and in many other states, it's in the process of happening. So you know, that's definitely something to consider. So anyway. That's all the time we have for this week. I look forward to hearing your feedback about this episode. What do you think about Multiple Intelligences? Do you have any experience using it? Any suggestions for future episodes? Send your answers my way, along with any other questions or comments you might have to teachertalkwzc at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at teachertalkwzc and Facebook at Teacher Talk with Zach Clancy. That's all for this week's show. I'm Zach Clancy. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.